0: we are in the middle of a sermon series that we have called Building Foundations, Not Fences. And what we're doing is we're approaching some of the more controversial uh, hot button issues in our world, things related to race, finances, politics. Next week we'll get into marriage, gender questions in, in the weeks to come. And just asking the question, what does God's word have to say about these things? And what we've done is we've put together a webpage, emmausokc.org slash foundations. If you go to that webpage, we have all the sermon notes on there, all the resources that we're using for this sermon series. And so this morning, we're gonna go through a lot of slides. There's gonna be a lot of things that I put in front of you and you think, ah, I can't keep up. Maybe I'd wanna have record of that or something. Guess what? It's all on our website. (laughs) Just go there and you're gonna be able to have the sermon notes. You're gonna be able to have that information available for you and we'll keep updating that. Now one question you might be asking yourselves is, based on all those topics, why spend two weeks on politics? Well, here's the reason. I wanted to take this topic of politics and I wanted to use it to show you how God works in our lives and how God works in a church. And here's what I mean by this. When we think about scripture and when we think about how God works in our lives, think about this in two pieces. God acts We respond. And so last week, we talked about God's work in our lives. We talked about God is sovereign over all things. He sent Jesus as the Savior. Because of those things, because of God's work in the world, we can have peace and order and quiet and stability. Now let me ask you a question. When you hear the words quiet, stillness, order, Stability? What comes to your mind? Like, how how do you respond to that? Some of us hear those words and we're like, oh, yeah, that's the good stuff. (laughs) That's that's what I like. Peace and quiet and stillness and order and stability. And did you know that there are some people who hear those words and they think boring? (laughs) They think, uh, Oh, man, that's not what I'm looking for in life. That's, that sounds boring. That sounds, that sounds so passive. Well, guess what? Here's the beauty of Scripture. Here's the beauty of how God works in our lives. Here's the beauty of how God probably works in your marriage or your family or your workplace. You have some people that are drawn to the order and quiet and stillness and peace. And because of God's sovereignty and salvation, we can have that peace. But guess what? God gives us that peace and that order so that we would be sent out in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what He's called us to do, to act in the world. God acts and brings peace and stability into our lives and our church, not so we would sit there, but so that we would then be sent out by the Holy Spirit as the church to do His work in the world. And so last week, I wanted you to come away saying, God is in control he is sovereign, he saves, we can rest in that. And then this week, as we think about politics, I want you to think, what is God sending me out to do? How has God empowered me to live for him? Some of you in your family, in your marriage, one person is the quiet person, one person is the let's go person. Like, we tend to be built this way. Churches are built this way. Peace, stability, now let's go. Now let's see what it looks like to live this out. So what we're gonna do over the next few minutes is I want to give you a Bible overview, a Bible theology of God's spirit and God's church, and then we're gonna ask, what's God leading us to do? So where else would we start but Genesis chapter one, okay? The last couple of weeks, we started in Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning. The, in the that wasn't good. In the beginning, God created, made up a new word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse two, Genesis chapter one, verse two. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That language in Genesis chapter one, verse two, when you see without form and and void, commentators will often describe that with the scene of chaos. So so things are in chaos. Things are not as they should be. They've not been brought together. What does God do when he sees a situation of chaos and darkness? He sends his Holy Spirit. And through his Holy Spirit, he brings order and direction and purpose to that situation. And so you get into Genesis chapter two, and God is creating mankind. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and what does he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That language for God breathing, the breath of God, the wind of God, you know what? That's the same word for the spirit of God. So God takes matter, God takes this dirt, and breathes his spirit into that matter, and living life is developed. Life is developed, and we are sent out to be his people. Now, what do we know about that life? Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, we're going to talk about this more next week when we get into the subject of of marriage. But I want you to see here, when God's Spirit works to give life, God gives life in such a way that we would live that life together with other people. Here's a good theology point that sometimes causes confusion for people. God did not create the world, and God did not create people because he was lonely. Sometimes we'll hear people say, well, God created or God created people because he wasn't lonely. Can I tell you that theologically God has never been lonely because God is Trinity, God for all of eternity has existed in perfect peace and joy and love. God has never been lonely, but we live in a world that has an epidemic of loneliness. You read all the studies, all the reports that are out there right now about especially younger people, teenagers, and let's be honest, adults as well, especially as people push into empty nest stage in life and push into older adulthood. The studies about loneliness are terrible. When God works among his people, when God's spirit moves among his people, do you know what happens? He overcomes loneliness and he brings us together. This is part of the work that God does and then the people lived happily ever after. No, because there's Genesis three, right? (laughs) There's Genesis three, what happens? When sin comes into the world, rebellion breaks out, God's spirit that's meant to bring us together, sin begins, begins to tear us apart. Our sin never just affects us, it always affects those around us. Your sin, my sin, it's not just about me, it impacts the relationships that I have. And so sin comes into the world. Instead of people living as the people of God, they begin to build empires, and violence breaks out, and chaos comes back onto the picture, and things begin to fall apart. But then in Genesis chapter 12, God calls out Abram, and he says, I'm going to establish a people, and I'm gonna establish a nation based on the power of my spirit, as people respond to me in faith, and I'm going to use that nation to be a blessing to all the other nations. And so this leads us to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is this picture of how God, through his spirit, is developing a nation, developing a people who will be a blessing to all the other nations. Except, what happens? All those other nations start to corrupt God's people. They start to look around at these other nations and say, wow, they have kings, they have all these other good things, let's go after them. In our world today, there's a lot of political uh, tension. I I don't need to tell you that. You know that. There's, There's this political tension. Part of that tension, if you're trying to ever understand what's going on in our world, especially generational tension about politics, when you think about American politics, A lot of the tension boils down to whether someone looks at America and sees us compared to Israel in the Old Testament, or whether someone looks at America and sees us compared to the nations, to Babylon. You think about the way different people look at politics, different people look at America. Some of the tension is when people look at America, do they see Israel or do they see Babylon? Now, let's be clear, theologically the answer is neither. We we have to be careful on on both sides. Some people just see the bad. All they look at America and they just see everything that's wrong. Other people are able to look at America and say, you know, things aren't as they should be. They, They could definitely be better, but we have some really good things. This last week, I was reading about a man named John Jay. John Jay was the youngest delegate to the Constitutional Congress. John Jay then became the first, uh, make sure I get this right, the first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Interestingly about John Jay, he also then became the first President of the American Bible Society that was establishing scripture and, and getting it out to people in the world. And John Jay was so distinct because a lot of the early founding fathers, they were somewhat connected to Christianity, but let's be honest, their theological beliefs were not anywhere close to the truth of God's word. They're all over the place, but you did have some founding fathers, you did have some of the early figures who are solid, Bible-based believers, and John Jay is one of the best examples of that. Here's someone who is working to establish the foundation of the country, and he's doing it in such a powerful way. One of his hallmarks as a politician was that if he had a political opponent who had good ideas, making good progress, he would elevate his political opponent because he knew his political opponent was getting things done, even though they didn't agree on things. May John Jay's tribe increase. (laughs) Uh, May we figure out what that looks like, that here we are, knowing we don't agree on everything, but here's this man, first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, who's laying this foundation. When you look at Israel in the Old Testament, and you look at how God is shaping Israel, He's giving them his law, but the purpose of his law is that they would have wisdom, that they would become his people. And yet what they ultimately need is what? They need a new heart. In our world, in your home, you can make all the laws and rules you want, but things aren't different until our heart is changed. In our country, in our state, in our world, we can make all the laws we want to, but that never substitutes for a changed heart, that we would be changed from the inside out. And so the people need a new heart. Where's that going to come from? Well, this is where you get to use your Sunday school answer. It comes from Jesus. This is the time that Jesus is the right answer in the sermon, and this is where (laughs) Jesus is the right answer in Sunday school. It comes from Jesus, here comes Jesus, Spirit-empowered life and ministry. Jesus, who is coming to give the people a new heart, to change us from the inside out, to save us, to be the people of God. And Jesus comes, and in many ways, gives the greatest political speech, the greatest sermon of all time, with the Sermon on the Mount. Completely changing the way we think about what it means to be God's people. Jesus comes and says, you've received these laws, but here's the purpose of these laws to change your heart. You've seen how God has worked in the Old Testament with Israel. Now, I've come to do something new. I have come to gather my disciples, to be the church, to be the people of God in this world. And at the core of this is Matthew chapter 16. At the core of what Jesus is doing by the Holy Spirit to establish the church, to establish his people, is Matthew chapter 16. Peter replies to Jesus when Jesus says, Who do people say I am? Peter says... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The people who confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, this foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, they will be the church of Jesus Christ. Hear me loud and clear on this when it comes to politics. Jesus has only and will ever only put his name on one institution and that is the church. Jesus has never placed his name on any political group or party and he has never placed his name on any individual nation. Jesus has placed his name on one institution and that is his church that is based on those who confess him as savior and Lord. That is what it means to be his people. That is how he draws us together. And so the church is established here in Scripture. The church that will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church that will be based on the word of God. The church that will be made up of people from all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues. This church that in this world is ultimately going to exist as Exiles. And foreigners and sojourners, because we realize this world is not ultimately our home. So, how do we understand how to be the church in the world? That's where 1 Peter chapter 2 comes in. Let's do some Bible study out of 1 Peter chapter 2. And we are trying to ask God, if you've sent us into the world to be your people, if you've sent us on this adventure of faith, What does that look like? How do I go out and live politically in this world in a way that honors you? First Peter, chapter two, let's start in verse nine. Peter says here about the church, about the people of God, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That word race, there, no matter your race, no matter your class, your social status, like priesthood, no matter what nation you're a part of, as the people of God, what matters is we are owned by God, that he is our God and we are his people. And what are we supposed to do? What is our job as the church? it's not politics, it's proclamation. Our job as the church is not primarily politics, our job is primarily proclamation, that we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So verse 11, Beloved, I urge you, Emmaus, church, I urge you as sojourners and exiles in this world, as those who aren't living ultimately for this world. So Emmaus, what are we supposed to do? Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Let me encourage you, let me encourage you to be very careful what kind of cultural battles you allow yourself to be drawn into. When we look at scripture, there is absolutely a spiritual war going on. We see that across the pages of scripture. And we see how the people of God have been called to respond. And as we think about that response, we think about that spiritual war, what are we called to? We're called to prayer. We're called to stand firm. We're called to be a part of the church. We're called to live out the good news of Jesus. We're called to do these things. But if we're not careful politicians, and in many ways have been trained to, and we have to be careful about this, have been trained to use war language to draw people into their their cause. And I was trying to think of an illustration for this. And the best illustration I could think of is that great political movie you might have watched called Shrek. Um, Anybody seen Shrek? One of the great political movies uh, did you know that Shrek is 21 years old? It came out in 2001, which I found terribly depressing. Like, I couldn't even fathom that Shrek came out in, in 2001. But, but one, of the, one of the great political movies of, of all time, and you think about the way that we're drawn into these battles and, and these fights, and you have Lord Farquaad, and Lord Farquaad, who is just the eminent politician in, in this movie, He wants to go after the beautiful Princess Fiona, and Fiona is trapped in this castle, and there's a fire-breathing dragon, and so he's trying to get, get Fiona, and he gathers all of his knights together, and he's going to have them fight to the death to find out who will be able to go and rescue Fiona. And here's the speech. He says, the winner of this tournament will have the honor, no, no, the privilege, of rescuing the beautiful Princess Fiona from the fiery pit of that dragon. Should the winner fail to return, the runner-up shall take his place, who you know is dead, and so on and so forth. And then he says, some of you may die, but that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. We live in a world (laughs) where people are constantly trying to draw you into their battles. They're constantly using warlike language to draw you into these things. Can I urge you, let the word of God be your guide. Let the word of God be your guide. Let the spirit of God give you wisdom about how we engage. What are we called to fight? Not all the problems out there. I need to worry about all the problems in here, that I would abstain from the passions of the flesh, that I would abstain from living an unholy life. Before I'm worried about fighting somebody else's battles out there, I need to make sure I'm looking at my own heart and my own life and how am I called to live Verse 12, what are we supposed to do? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Live honorable lives so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. People will glorify God not when we slam them in a political match, but when we do good and we point them to the goodness of God. Verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We talked about this last week. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is the will of God. What is God's will for your life? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Remember that wisdom from the book of Proverbs? You don't have to go into every argument you're invited to. If there's a foolish person having a foolish argument, you don't have to enter that argument. What's your call? It's to do good, to live an honorable life. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I thank God for our military personnel, for our veterans, for our law enforcement officers who, who protect and serve and defend Remember, freedom does not mean doing whatever I want to do. (laughs) We live in a world, we live in a nation where people have forgotten the meaning of freedom. Freedom does not mean I just get to do whatever I want to do. Freedom is we have been set free from something in order to live for the good of others, in order to be able to serve others, to live fully in this world. And so what are we called to do here? Live freely in order to serve God. Then verse 17, honor everyone Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter has done something really cool in this verse that it's easy to miss. What he does is he creates an escalation, a growing of emotion and and, and devotion to someone here where he says, respect everybody around you. Everybody you encounter this week deserves honor and respect because they've been created in the image of God. They could be so far away from you on the political spectrum. They could absolutely drive you crazy at school, but they still deserve your respect. They they still deserve honor and respect. But then he ratchets it up a level. He says, love the brotherhood. At school, all you have to do is respect people. In church, you gotta love them. All right. So it kind of went, it went, it went up a level here that we honor everyone, we love the brotherhood, and we fear and worship God. He receives our ultimate devotion and worship. Oh yeah, and by the way, honor the emperor. What's he done? He has taken the emperor and said, he's just another guy too. Like he's just another everyone. He took the emperor from a place of worship and just put him down with all the other people. Just just honor and respect him as you would anybody else that you would interact with along the way. What are we called to do in politics. How are we called to respond as the people of God? As we begin to wrap up, I want to give you some application points. A couple of slides. All this is online, but I want to give you some slides to think about, some things to think about. And kids, I've got two phrases that will be helpful for you guys as you think about the the points for the sermon. Here's the first thing I'm going to give you related to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God leads us to what we're going to call inside out politics. Okay, As the people of God what are we called to do in politics? The Spirit of God teaches us that we are called to inside-out politics, and I can't tell you how badly I wanted to wear my quarter zip inside-out on, on stage today, but uh, I thought it would just be too much confusion or somebody would think I meant to do it you know, or on purpose or got confused, whatever, so I didn't do it, but kids, if you wanna go home this afternoon and wear your, your uh, shirt inside-out, this is pastoral approval to remember the sermon, so uh, we are going to live inside out as the people of God. What do we mean? We mean that when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. You might remember the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians five. What should your life look like on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week? Politically? Just in your home, at school? What should your life look like? Love? Joy? Peace? Patience? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What if things don't go the way you want on Tuesday? (laughs) What What if things go completely different? What if things go badly at work this week? What if things go badly at school this week? Don't allow those circumstances to determine how you're going to live, how you're going to respond. We're the people of God. We are producing from the inside out the fruit of God. And that God would transform our mind, that we would be discerning, that we would have wisdom to know how to think about things that are happening in the world. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that God's spirit, here's, so the adventure people in the room, those who can't stand the boring silence, those who don't like to sit around being passive, here's the point for you, that God, by his Holy Spirit, has empowered you to go out into the world and do the things that God has created you to do, that by his spirit, by his gifting, by his creativity, that you would go out into the world and live out the power of the gospel. How have believers done this throughout history? Christians have led the way in science, in the arts, in design and engineering, Christians have led the way in responding to people who are hurting, responding to disasters, caring for the unborn, caring for the poor, caring for the immigrants, caring for women that were going out and were doing these things. Christians have led the way in education. Let me tell you a really cool story about education. Um, my first grade teacher, named Mrs. Knox, taught me to read, taught me to love school, so many good memories of Mrs. Knox. Her husband, was my pastor as a kid. So Mrs. Knox and then Brother Marvin, he was, he was our pastor. Brother Marvin's passed away, but Mrs. Knox is in her early 90s, and she's in an assisted living center down in, in Marlow. And I talked to my mom this last week, and Mrs. Knox is in that assisted living center in her early 90s, and she is teaching a 92-year-old woman how to read. This lady never learned to read, never, never had a chance to, she's 92, Mrs. Knox is sharing the love of Jesus, the love of God with her. She is doing political, educational work, teaching this 92-year-old lady how to read. That's the spirit of God at work in the world. That's what we're looking for, that God would do through our lives, that we can't force people to change, but we can absolutely be used by God to show his love, to show his goodness to them. We're gonna live inside out as the people of God. And then finally, as the church, what phrasing do we want to think about as the church? What I would tell you as a church, we want to live upside-down politics. So by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit causes us to live inside out from a transformed life out. And as the church, we live upside down, which means in the world around us, we're taught that all the change, all the power resides at the top, and it should come down to the people. As the church, we know where the real work happens is down at the ground level, that we began to work from the bottom up, that that's how God does the work in the world, which means we just start local. You want to do political work? Start in your home. Start in your community. Start in the school system. Start with what's happening around us. Start in your neighborhood. This week, the challenge that Kennedy has given us with missions is that you would invite someone in your neighborhood to have coffee or dessert, spend time with you. So I'm not gonna let you get out of this. <laughs> Think about this for a second. This week, who has God put around you that you need to reach out to them and invite them? Maybe to your home, maybe to meet you someplace, and the purpose of that conversation is just that you can love and encourage them, speak to them about God's work in your life, hear about how God's work, working in their lives, this week, we're gonna vote on Tuesday about some very important things. Things that go way beyond any of our pay grades. But we're also this week going to connect with neighbors and friends and classmates and coworkers. And that's where the good work happens. That's where we're really able to make, make a difference. Secondly, as you, you start small, we realize that in the church, our job is to serve. True leaders serve. When you go to the polls on Tuesday, remember, We are electing public servants. That's the kind of people that we want. That's what we're looking for. That that leadership is not about power, it's about how can I serve those around me. And the good gift of the Baptist church is that one of the things we're focused on is how can we be a free church in a free state. That the gift of who we are as a church is that we're not controlled by the state and the church doesn't control the state We're just called to be the people of God, and so what we've been called to is, how can we be a free church and a free state? Number four, that we would understand that we have been called to sharpen one another. As the church, upside down politics means I don't need to surround myself with everyone who just thinks the same as me. I need to be sharpened by people who are different than me. A church, there's this, really concerning trend in churches today, where churches are beginning to divide in such a way that churches are only made up of people of one political party. We only want to be around people, even for worship, if they agree with us politically on issues. And can I just tell you as your pastor and your friend that is so dangerous. That is a road we do not want to go down because we get better, we grow, we're strengthened not by just having people who think like us but by having people who think differently than, than we do. As believers, we should be able to see or receive critique and, and understand we don't have re- everything figured out. Let me give you a $1,000 phrase for this, okay? <laughs> the $1,000 phrase for this is what's called motive Attribution, asymmetry. You're welcome, I'm glad glad you could be a part of that. Motivation, attribution, asymmetry. Here's what that means, okay? Here's the reason we talk about this. This is the approach to life that I always think well of myself and I always think the worst about others. (laughs) So whatever my motive was in the situation, it was good and pure. Whatever that other person's motive was, it was terrible. And there's a quote that's related to this that I want you to hear. Justin Gibney, who's done some different work with, with politics and religion, he has this quote where he says, one ugly reality about hating your political opponents is that you start off hating their vices and end up hating their virtues as well. In your contempt, you begin to believe that everything about them is wrong, even their insights and practices that could improve you. As the church, we want to live as people who don't demonize others who are different than us but who say, I need to learn, I need to grow, I need to be around people who sharpen me. Number five, upside down politics says as a church, we will proclaim and display Jesus. That is what we have been called to do. That is what we are going to give ourselves to. We're gonna seek to do good in our community in our school systems where God has called us here, and we will never back away from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is your savior and your Lord, that he is fully and eternally God, and that he came to give his life for you, that he died for you in your place to take on your sin. All the junk and shame and darkness from your life you, you can't deal with that, you can never overcome that, but that's what Jesus has done, that's the good news of Jesus, and that he rose from the dead so that you would know that this world is not the end of the story, that this life is not the end of the story, that there is hope for all of eternity, not because you lived a good life, not because you tried to go to church, not because you tried to hold your life together, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And whatever might happen in the world, we will never back away from telling that story because that is what people need to hear. That's what I need to hear, that's what you need to hear. God might have brought you here this morning and you could care less about politics. You came to be with a friend or a family, but I want you to hear that Jesus has come and give his life so that you would have hope and peace and salvation for all of eternity. If you don't know that peace, if you don't have that hope, as soon as the service is over today, come and find me. I I wanna talk to you about that. Talk to your friend or your family member who brought you. The most important thing that will happen in your life today and this week is that you would trust in Jesus for salvation. And Emmaus, that's what we're gonna give ourselves to. We're not trying to disciple people into a certain political party. We want to point people toward Jesus, and we're going to live our lives, and we're going to speak that message until our days on this planet are done. Would you bow your heads? Here in just a minute, after I pray for us, we are going to stand and have a responsive reading, and then we're going to sing a final song together. that God would send us out as his people. I know many of us here, we like the, uh, we like the peace and the silence and the quiet and the stability and the order, we, we like that part of it. And there are others here who are drawn to the adventure and the faith and the action and let's get out in the world and do things. And God, we need both of those. You bring peace, and then by your spirit, you propel us out into the world to be your people. Let us do that this week. Let us do that this week at school and at work in our neighborhoods. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never trusted in Jesus for salvation, who they don't know what would happen after they die, God, that today would be the day that they would trust in Jesus for salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.